And so believing in turn is based upon hearing. That's why it says, how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? I feel really loud. Yes? Somebody fix me, please. No. I get it. I'll fix myself. So, if I go like, there we go, now I don't feel so threatening and intimidating with a loud, angry voice today. It's a different format today. Let's just go with it, okay? So, picking up from there, right? So, how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? Which means to hear anything requires a messenger. Right? It requires a, a communicator. And so before you can believe in somebody, you have to have at least heard about that person. Understand, Paul is being as simple and as basic as he possibly can be at this point. And yet the reality is, tragically, the simplicity of what Paul says goes over the heads of many in the church today just don't see it. We just don't get it. We don't grasp it. We don't embrace it. How is it that I would make statements like that? I think it's not hard to see a perceived lack of interest and enthusiasm for things like evangelism and missions if we truly understood what Paul is trying to unpack, then each and every one of God's children would be fully engaged in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the message of the gospel must be carried to the world. So in order for it to be carried to the world, there must be a messenger. That's why he says, and how will they hear without a preacher? And this is where we misunderstand. We, 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 we sit back and we think, well, yeah, that's your job. That, that's, what, that's what you're supposed to do. That, that's, you to understand that. that. This is beyond just what happens behind a pulpit. The word preacher comes from a Greek word, kariso. Kariso means to preach, to proclaim, or to announce. So, so make no mistake, that, that goes beyond just what happens on a Sunday morning from a pastor behind a pulpit. That preaching is the responsibility of all God's children. All of us. Verse 15 says, well, how will they preach unless they are sent? So we've all been called to share God's message of salvation to everyone because everyone who calls upon His name shall be saved. Some people, myself included, do this vocationally. Some people are gifted and can do this exceptionally. 
But all of God's children are called to do this faithfully. All of us. Think about our community. Who would not love to see this community become a Christ-honoring, God-glorifying community? Now, I mean, it sounds wonderful, right? It sounds like, man, that would be amazing. But, but how is our community going to change unless they believe? How are they ever going to believe unless they hear? And how will they ever hear unless someone goes and communicates that with them? Jesus declared, Matthew chapter 28, says that Jesus came up and He spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, the Great Commission. Go. Therefore, make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me help you with this. I want you to understand that very first word in verse number 19, go, that's not a command. In the Greek, that is actually a present participle. It means going. The only command that's in the Great Commission is the command to make disciples. The Great Commission is the responsibility of all of God's children. It's not just reserved to a select few who who feel called to go. No, this, this, this involves all of us. It, it actually translates, as you are going, or in other words, wherever you are, make disciples. That's the command. That's our, all of our responsibility. So Paul continues verse number 15 with the re- reference from Isaiah chapter 52. It actually comes from Isaiah chapter 52 verse number 7. And it's concerning the eagerness of the bearers of good news. And verse 15 says, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. In Isaiah chapter 52, where this quote is coming from, the messenger is bringing good news to Judah. He's announcing their return from their exile in Babylon. He's announcing the return uh, to their own land. His feet were considered to be beautiful because of the news in which he shared with the people. Now think about it in the context of Paul's using it. God appoints human messengers to be vessels of the greatest treasure that anyone could possibly find. And that is the treasure of the truth of the redemption that is offered to those who will call upon the name of the Lord. That treasure, that vessel of truth, God has given to His children to proclaim. 
there's no greater privilege in all of the world than the privilege of being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. Oh, that we would find the joy, the enthusiasm, the commitment to faithfully proclaim the gospel. But the reality is, not everybody thinks the messenger's feet are beautiful. Verse 16 says, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Isaiah says that, that many Israelites did not believe the report. They did not believe the message of God. That's going back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 1. Paul uses this to show us that salvation is not by race. It's not by heritage. It's not by tradition. It's not by religion or institution. No, salvation is not by works. Nothing that we can do. No, salvation is by grace through faith for whoever will call on the name of the Lord. So although the gospel is universal, not everybody who hears the gospel will respond positively to the news. And this honestly can be one of the most frustrating aspects of preaching, teaching, or evangelism. It's easy and exciting to proclaim the truth when people are eager and receptive and responsive to that proclamation. But yet when you go through seasons of preaching, teaching, proclaiming the truth of God's Word, and, and yet there's little to no perceived response, it can become challenging. It can be discouraging. But what we need to understand is that we are responsible for the proclamation. We have no responsibility or control over the reception of that proclamation. We just share the truth. Proclaim the truth and the, of the goodness and the glory of God. That's what we're to do. And that's the purpose of evangelism. Is proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose of evangelism is not to use persuasive arguments or clever dialogue in order to manipulate some type of response from an individual. No, we've been called to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ. Through which the Holy Spirit may or may not bring conviction through which the Holy Spirit may or, or, or may not secure this salvation for, for the one that is heard. But what we're to do, we have no control over response. We, we control our faithfulness in proclaiming. And so we share. We share with everyone. We should be eager to share with any and everyone. Because the power of the gospel to save, no matter who a person is or what they have done, is absolutely amazing. 
And so, continuing to verse number 17, we see that faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Which means faith does not respond in a vacuum, nor does it respond blindly. Faith is believing what one has been told about God's offer for salvation. Faith is trusting in the one who has come to offer salvation for those who will call upon the name of the Lord. So the message is heard about the word of Christ. That, 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 that phrase, word of Christ, is simply the word about Christ. And so anticipating objections. I love how Paul anticipates the objection, asks it, and answers it in his writing. And so he has a couple of objections that he's anticipating. The first one is found in verse number 18. Verse 18 says, But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Well, the answer is, of course they have. And Paul's going to use a response from Psalm chapter 19. In Psalm chapter 19, David's the psalmist of, of Psalm 19. In, in Psalm 19, David affirms that the heavens declare the glory of God to all the inhabitants of the world. Look at Psalm 19. It says that the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Then look at verse number 4. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them He has placed a tent for the Son. Here, in Romans, Paul is going to apply verse 4 of Psalm 19 to the proclamation of the Gospel in his time. And so he asks, did Israel hear? The answer is, of, of, of course they heard. Of course they did. That's why verse 18 continues, and it says, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their worlds to the ends of the world. Israel's disobedience and rejection of the gospel was not because they didn't hear about it. And Paul continues with his second potential objection. Verse 19, he says, But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? So although they heard the message, perhaps they heard it, but they just didn't understand it. And so Paul goes on to answer that objection. He gives a couple of evidences. The answer is an obvious, of course they understood. Yet they both heard and they understood and they still rejected. Notice how Paul responds. He goes with verse number 19. He says, first Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation, without understanding, will I anger you. So let me help you understand what's happening here. The answer that Paul just gave in verse number 19 is that if the 
unenlightened people that exist outside of the covenant could understand the gospel, then certainly the religiously gifted and highly favored Israelites had no grounds to claim a lack of understanding of the gospel. And he gives a second proof to support that in verse number 20. He says, and Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. So with the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, it stands to reason that if they could understand the gospel, certainly the Jews cannot argue that it was beyond their ability to understand or comprehend. Paul points out that these other nations would seek for the Lord. Today, I'll be as clear as I can, God's people are made up of those that submit and surrender their lives unto Jesus, trusting in Him to be Lord and Savior of their life. That's God's people. No matter where they live, doesn't matter their the heritage, doesn't matter what nation they're geographically located within the borders of, doesn't matter their educational degree, it doesn't matter their sex, which by the way, there's only two. Okay, but that's that's a rabbit will not chase. That's a dog that will hunt. Anyway, I don't the, uh, the power of God to change lives is profound. And I often wonder, how is it that those that possess a changed life, how is it that over the course of time we seem to lose the urgency and the commitment to share the gospel with other people. I think it's sad that sometimes we just look at other people and just assume that we know what their eternal fate is supposed to be as if we're in charge of selecting any of that. Whereas if we would just have the passion, the heart, the commitment, the love, to be willing to share with any and everyone the message of salvation in hopes that they may one day be the one that calls upon the name of the Lord for their salvation. Israel's rejection had nothing to do with the lack of opportunity to hear. It had nothing to do with their inability to understand the message. No, Israel's rejection had everything to do with obstinance and disobedience. Verse 21 says, But as for Israel, he says, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. God says all day long. He's demonstrating his, his patience and his long-suffering God was bearing for a long, <coughs> a long time 
waiting until the last moment to turn away. I mean, he's, he's greatly impatient with his people. And so all day long, and then it says, with stretched out his hands. His outstretched hands represent an invitation. He's inviting them to receive his forgiveness. He's offering them peace and an opportunity to have reconciliation. He's offering them the hope of heaven and is all day long with outstretched hands. However, they refused. Refused and rejected God's gracious invitation. And they chose to remain disobedient and obstinate. They closed their minds despite the clear evidence and truth. They, they, they refused to consider the reality that Jesus is the only way for salvation. What's our connection for today? It's simply this. The reason why people don't come to God is not because God fails to invite them. It's rooted in their disobedience and obstinance. Going back to Romans chapter 3, verse number 10 says, As it is written, there are none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Because we are by nature disobedient, rebellious, obstinate. By nature, we are separated from God. Because of that, none of us would ever come to Christ unless God sovereignly plants a desire in the rebellious heart of an individual to submit and surrender their lives unto Him. And we, we feel this tension as we, as we go through Romans of God's sovereignty and salvation and the responsibility on individuals and Far too often, we make one of them go against the other, and there's a beautiful harmony that's in there that's completely difficult to explain, but it exists. By practice, I know I've shared this one time before, but I'll say it again. By practice, I would say we all embrace God's sovereignty over salvation. How can I say that? Because we often pray for loved ones and family and friends to be saved. We intercede on their behalf before the throne of God for the salvation of our children, for the salvation of our family members, for the salvation of our friends, for the salvation of our spouses, for the salvation of our neighbors. We, We freely intercede on their behalf begging, imploring God to soften their hearts. 
or surround them with individuals who will be willing to, to speak truth. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that for someone? That God, you want them to be surrounded by people that will be encouragers, that will speak the truth of God's Word into their hearts and into their lives. I'm just wondering, have you ever thought about this? Perhaps you're the person that someone else is praying for to intercede and to be that person for their family member, for their child, or for their friend. So instead of us all sitting at home, all comfortable and secure in our own salvation, maybe we can have an urgency to go across the street, to, to pick up our phones, to, to uh, go to wherever we have to go, to sit down and to tell other people just how amazing the love of God actually is. It's not something that's just reserved or limited to pastors. Again, how will they ever believe unless they hear? How will they ever hear unless it's proclaimed? Who's going to proclaim it? God gives us that responsibility as his children to be the messengers. And where would the messengers go unless they're sent? And the beautiful reality is through the Great Commission, God has already sent all of us as messengers. As you are going, wherever you find yourself to be, make disciples. Then he gives us instructions on how to make disciples. But the command is for all of God's children to make disciples. May we no longer be resistance and struggle and wrestle with that, but may we submit and surrender all aspects of our lives. And I'm just curious, there might be someone even here today, my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit would soften your heart and give you the the ability, the desire, the urgency, all of that, so that you would submit and surrender your lives and proclaim Him as Lord, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead so that you might be saved. Heavenly Father, thank You for another privilege and opportunity to open Your Word. And I pray that Your Word will accomplish its purpose here among us. Whatever the appropriate response is to Your Word today, I pray that we would do something Maybe it's here, maybe it's now, maybe it's later. But Father, may we do something in response to the hearing of your word. May your spirit move among us. May we not be consumed or distracted by what other people are doing or are not doing. God, may we just focus upon ourselves and what is the right response to you and to your word. God, as we we go through this song, I pray that you are pleased by what you see. God, I pray that you receive all the glory, honor, and praise that's due unto you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.